Today I want to talk about the true house of prayer. The true house of prayer. And we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 11 today, finishing up Mark chapter 11. But when it comes to issues of prayer, it seems like people have a lot of questions. And one of the major questions that we see in the Bible, when the disciples uh, knew that they were going to lose Jesus, he was going to go die and be resurrected, and they were not going to have him all the time, they, they ask him one thing, teach us to pray. Teach us how you do this prayer thing that we see you do. Teach us how the fact that you go out into the hills and you pray, that you pray and mighty things happen. And so many things that are about prayer is, should we do like certain prayers? The prayer of Jabez uh, was a big prayer for a while. And people are looking for, what is the ideal way to pray? What is the best way to pray? What do we need to know about prayer? How do I know that when I'm praying... God is listening. How do I know that I'm praying that it's going to be effective? Because I don't want to pray wrong. I mean, it's like a lot of things. You don't want to start something and say, I'm praying and I'm doing it all the wrong way. You get to heaven and God's like, yeah, I would have loved to have helped you, but boy, your prayer technique was terrible. So I had to just like not listen to anything. And I, and we, I laugh about that, but I think that there are people who believe that, that there's like a uh, that God's up there looking at it, kind of giving you A, B, C, kind of check marks on your prayers. But there are prayers that the Bible talks about that God does not listen to. There are times when he says if it's out of a wrong spirit, if it's selfish, he doesn't listen to prayers of, you know, you know please go get that person for me, kind of the vindictive prayers for that. But we need to understand what does it mean to be a true house of prayer? And what is this house of prayer that he's talking about? And so today, we're going to have two stories that are going to be intertwined. And this is a method that Mark likes to use. And he, it's called sandwiching, where he puts two stories that you probably heard told separately that Mark is telling them together so that you can understand that they help interpret one another. And the first story is going to be about, if you look at Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 12, uh, it's going to be about a fig tree. Now, this fig tree, we don't have fig trees here in Minnesota, but uh, it says on the following day, remember Mark chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus had just gone to the temple, he had looked around, and then he was tired and he went and he left. So Mark chapter 11, starting with verse 12, it says on the following day, when they had come from Bethany, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it's not the season for figs. So here's the story. Jesus is looking. It says that he is hungry. He is looking for figs. He goes to a tree. He sees that the tree has leaves on it which means that it's showing that it's vital. It's showing that it's doing something. If you have a tree that has no leaves, it's probably one that I've planted because uh, I'm not very good at trying to plant trees, but it is a true thing that p- trees have leaves, which means they're vital. means that something is happening. And so he went to the fig tree and it appeared to be fruitful, but it was not producing anything of usefulness. It was just having trees on it. It was just having leaves on it. Well, having a leaf on a fig tree does nothing. 
for the people that, because fig trees have a purpose. It's built in the title, figs, okay? That's what they're for. I mean, I know if you have an apple tree that just has really pretty leaves, you have a pretty leaf tree. You do not have an apple tree because the purpose is for them to produce what they say they're going to produce. And he found nothing but the cover. There's a heavy emphasis on leaves in this story. Mark makes a note, though. Do you see Mark makes a little note here? Uh, just to let you know that there's something more to this story than you think. He says, for it was not the season for figs. So Jesus walks up to a tree, and he sees leaves on it, and he makes a note of the leaves, and he says, give me some figs, and there's no figs on it, but Mark says, just for the record, this tree shouldn't have had figs because it wasn't fig season. And you think, okay, what that means is Jesus is trying to make a point. He's not trying to give us a horticulture lesson. Okay? He's not trying to come out and say, you know, hey, this is not, you are not doing correctly. I created you to do this and this. He is trying to make a point. And so in verse 14, it says, And Jesus said to it, and he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So in other words, he makes a big point to say, something is, you are wrong, that you are, tree, you are showing like you are actually producing something, and I am saying today that no one will ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. And I heard, read from one commentator this week, he said, and his disciples probably thought to themselves, this is weird. This is really strange. Why is he cursing a fig tree? Okay, why is he doing this? What is the point of what he is doing here? What is, what, what's his purpose? And so what's going to happen is, okay, so what's going to happen? What's going to happen? We don't know. Because Mark says, and then another story happens. And he doesn't finish the story. We have to wait till the very end of this other story to find out what happens. Verse 15 starts, and then they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it, it is not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. So I've heard the story of the fig tree and I've heard the story of Jesus going into the temple, but you have to understand that these are, they interpret one another. You can't understand one without the other. So hold into your mind, fig tree, not producing, leaves. Jesus says you'll never have leaves again, or figs again. And now he's in the temple making an action against the temple. Now he overturns, he walks in, and he's going to do some things and he's going to use some verses that if you're an Old Testament person, if you're a Jewish person that knows the Old Testament, he is going to say words that are going to be a key words. He's going to say key words and be like, hey, wait a second, we've heard that from our pastors. Hey, wait a second, the priest talks about that. So Jesus is using things, like when he came in for the triumphant entry, he came in with a colt and he rode it in a certain time and he triggered a bunch of things in people's heads. Whoa, Zechariah 9, yes, the Messiah is here. And everything he's going to say in this is going to trigger other things in people to say what he's doing. So he comes in, 
He overturns uh, the people that were selling the goods to make it possible for people to participate in the practice of the temple. You see, he is saying to the money changers, I guess you had to change your money into what was called holy money. I did, was not aware of this. I, this is, honestly, I've studied for a long time. I did not realize there was holy money. But I knew that there was something that the temple had that was unique, but they called it the holy money. And he, made it, he was also saying you can't carry anything through the temple. So if you had something to sacrifice, he said you can't do that. He stopped them from doing that. And also the pigeons that were sacrificed to the poor, he made them stop selling this. Not only did he make everybody stop, but he made, selling, he made everybody stop buying. You notice that he didn't just go after the. A lot of times we think he just went after the merchants. But if you look closely at the text, it says that he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. So he is saying, get out. This is not where you're supposed to be. And there's no charge, there's no talk here. A lot of people have talked at this verse and they've said, oh, they must have been overcharging. Or they must have been taking advantage. All that we ever see here is Jesus is saying, you're not using the temple for what it's supposed to be used. You're not doing what's supposed to be done here. And it's not supposed to, it looks like it's doing what it's supposed to, but it's not actually accomplishing what it's supposed to. Think of the fig tree right now. He's saying you're just like the fig tree. You'll look like it with your leaves that you're going to accomplish something, but you're not doing what I've called you to do. And then he's also calling out by this that the temple is going to be destroyed, as we're going to see by this. He's going to attack three things in the temple. First of all, the monetary thing. If your money can't be exchanged for holy currency, then there's no support for sacrifice and priests. What he is saying is there's going to be no more need for sacrifice and priests. He attacks the components of the sacrifice. If you can't buy an animal to sacrifice, you can't sacrifice. And he's also going to attack the vessels for sacrifice because he says you can't even carry those through the temple. He's going to attack all of these things and say these things are no longer going to be there. And verse 17, though, kind of tells you why he's doing what he's doing. It says, and he was teaching them and saying it to them, is it not written, which when Jesus does this, he is going right to the Bible, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Let's first look at that. He is saying, we need this temple to be a house of prayer. Now what's going on is Jesus is doing in this what's called the court of the Gentiles, a very big area. And the court of the Gentiles though had been taken over by these merchants. And so the place that Gentiles were supposed to pray, there was no place for them to pray. So in other words, you went to a prayer meeting and you weren't allowed to pray because there was no place for a prayer meeting. He just kind of, he made that point. But Isaiah 56, 7 he quotes from, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. You see, the temple was not supposed to be a shrine. It wasn't supposed to be something that you touched and it was holy. It was not something that was supposed to be this shrine that people looked at. Um, I was thinking about the movie and I was going to use this, but I, I didn't have a chance to get the clip this week. If you ever watch the movie Independence Day, and if you haven't seen Independence Day and you have cable TV, it'll be on within the next 24 hours. Seems like it's a movie that is always on. But one of the most wild scenes, it's called Independence Day, and it's about aliens that are attacking our world. 
is when the aliens parked their big spaceship right over the top of the White House. And they're saying, we're going to blow up the thing that you really like. And all of a sudden, they drop that laser beam and blow up the White House. And we know they're serious. Because that's our White House. Nobody blows up our White House. They're serious. And you think, and we don't even think of it that clearly, but for people at this time, the temple had become this shrine. It had become this place where they could um, just come. It was supposed to be a blessing for all the nations. But if you went to the temple at this time, there were all kinds of signs that said, Gentiles, keep out. Gentiles, if you come here, danger, you will be killed if you become too close to the temple. Instead of being a, uh, an outreach, it became a, a national pride thing. It said, Jews only. We're the only people that God loves, and this is our little place. And Jesus, and remember when Jesus dies, what's going to happen? This whole thing that he's setting up here. First of all, the temple veil is going to be ripped in two, and he's going to open access to the temple to everybody. And who is, remember the temple was supposed to be for the Gentiles. He's also, as, far, as well as the Jews, and he's in the court of the Gentiles. Who's the first person that declares Jesus to be the Son of God? A Gentile centurion. See, Jesus is setting up saying, you were supposed to be working with all of these people. You were supposed to be helping out and doing on this, but you have made my, not made my house a house of prayer. And notice the word, for all the nations. What were the Jews supposed to be doing at this time? Not sitting there going, we don't like Gentiles. They were supposed to be preaching the good news of God to the Gentiles, and they weren't doing it. The second line that he uses is from Jeremiah 7, 1 through 15. He says, but you've made this a den of robbers. Now, what is a den of robbers? A den of robbers is the hideout place that you go. Okay, so he's not saying that you're robbing here. He says, this is you go, you go and rob, and then you come here and hide so the, bad, so the good guys don't get you. This is your cave, your secret hideout. And he uses the concept from uh, Jeremiah, what Jeremiah was saying to the people of his time, what you're doing, people, is you're going out in the world and sinning, and then you run to the temple and think that you can do whatever you want as long as you come back and touch go every once in a while at the temple. You rob people, you, um, you're committing all kinds of sins, and you come back to the temple and think you're okay. I mean, there are people like this today, I think, too. We think to ourselves, we can live however we want six days a week, but if we make enough appearances in church, we get a get-out-of-free card. And he is saying, no, that's not the way it is. This is not a den of robbers. And they're saying we are safe to do detestable things. Jeremiah 7.11 puts it this way. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So when he quotes this verse, everybody understands that he is saying, God has seen what you're doing with this temple. And you have not made it a house of prayer. You have made it a den of robbers, which means you come here thinking, I have the temple. I can do whatever I want because I can say a certain amount of words. I can say I'm sorry. I can keep sinning and do whatever I want. But as long as we have the temple, we're okay. So we see the chief priests in verse 18. And the chief priests heard it and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because of the crowd was astonished at his teaching. 
So you see, the chief priests, they understand the verse. They understand that Jesus is challenging the temple. He is challenging how the temple works. He is challenging how this all works together. And he is saying, I am making a direct challenge to you, the leaders here, because you're the ones who are doing this. And later on, if you look at verses 27 through 33, they're going to challenge Jesus himself. And they came to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, it says, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him. Who is it that Jesus predicted that would come against him in chapter 8? He says, I will be brought to Jerusalem, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders will come, and they will hand me over to the Romans. So we already see what's coming on right here. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do all these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But but shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people. But they held all that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus could be really irritating to his enemies. Remember, Jesus said, I only speak in parables to those who cannot handle this. In other words, they don't want the answer. They want to trick Jesus. So what does Jesus give them? The answer they deserve. They deserve this answer. If somebody had really come up, Jesus, Jesus, I really care and I love you, Jesus would have been more straight with them. But they're challenging him. And the rest of this week, as we talk about Passion Week coming up, is going to be about them challenging Jesus and trying to show that he is wrong. But here he starts to discuss this whole concept. And what I want to finish with is five points about what this means to be a house of prayer. And I want to read you these verses first. Verse 19. And when evening came, they went out to the city. Went out of the city. And they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you have cursed has withered. This shows you what Jesus was doing with the temple. He is saying, I'm not here to just cleanse the temple and make things okay. I'm here to say that the temple is going to lose its significance by what I'm going to do. Just like the temple, um, just like that fig tree withered up and died, if you go to Jerusalem today, you will not see the temple. For in in AD 70, the Romans came and destroyed the whole thing. Jesus knew that was coming. And he said, that's what's going to happen. And I'm preparing you for what's going to come after that. The fig tree is of no use anymore, and neither is the temple. And Jesus answered them now, have faith in God. Because if you just lost everything, if you just lost, I mean, the temple, they said it was kind of like the Supreme Court, um, the government, the religious center, the recreation center. It was the foundation of Jerusalem. And what he's going to say is in a few years, it's going to be gone. And he's writing this and saying this not only for the people here, but for us today. Have faith in God. He has a plan. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive If you have anything against anyone, 
so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. See, there's a new order in place. Jesus is saying that he's, he's, he already predicted the temple, and he will predict again the temple will be destroyed. That will be coming up. When he is tried, they will say, you're the one who said you were going to destroy the temple. When he's on the cross, they're going to taunt him and say, you're the one who said the temple was going to be destroyed. I'm not sure how those taunters felt when they saw the Roman soldiers come in and smash the temple when, and said, oh, maybe Jesus was right. I'm not sure they said that, but they should have. And see, the whole thing now, the readers of Mark have, have, have either seen the temple be destroyed or they see the destruction coming up. And so how are we supposed to pray now? He said the temple is supposed to be the house of prayer. The temple is gone. We can't go to Jerusalem right now and pray. We can't go to the court of the Gentiles and pray. What about, how am I supposed to have forgiveness of my sin if I can't go make a sacrifice? I'm lost. And what about my relationship with God? I don't have a priest anymore that intercedes for me with God. It's all gone. And he is saying, have faith. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's saying there's going to be a new order. And everything is going to be all right. Now, the Jewish people that write after the destruction of the temple, if you read their writings, all they write about is, we are lost. We have no hope. We have no connection with God anymore. I've always found it kind of interesting, and I've seen different examples and talked to different Jewish people. But since there is no animal sacrifice anymore, I wonder how it is to be a Jewish person if you don't believe in the Messiah where do you believe forgiveness of sin comes from? Where is your foundation? For they were lost now without a foundation because they don't have a temple anymore. But Jesus is saying there is a new house, there's a new order, it's the true house of prayer. And he says, here's the rules of the new house of prayer. First of all, don't let anything come in the way of prayer. Remember, this is the Gentile gate, and it was crowded doing business. Many thought they were doing good things. They were selling things to people that needed sacrifice material. But all of this should have been done outside of the temple area so people could pray. Don't let anything, Jesus is saying through his lesson here, if you truly want a house of prayer, if you truly want to be a people of prayer, don't let anything, whether it is good or bad, get in the way of praying. Because I will tell you this, everything will get in the way of praying. Good or bad. You will be sitting there praying and the phone will ring. You will be sitting there praying, the baby will cry. You'll be sitting there praying. You'll start drifting off thinking of things that you've never thought. It's amazing how many things can happen. Okay? You start, I mean, just things go. There is, a, there is an enemy that is attacking, keeping you from doing your prayer. And I think once we understand that, it can help us be, stay focused. And he is saying, focus on your prayer because there are things that are going to try and get you to stop. And good things. I have to keep working. I have to keep doing this. I don't have time to pray. I'm too busy doing God's work. This is what happens to pastors a lot. There's all kinds of pastors. And there's a book that I have It says, Too Busy Not to Pray. It's written for pastors, but it's also written for other people. It's saying you're too busy not to pray, not too busy to pray. You're doing so many things. If you don't pray, you're in trouble. But we get busy. We get like this Gentile court kind of running around doing our thing 
oh, we're accomplishing this. Oh, we're doing this for God. We're doing this for God. Hey, I, I worked a few hours this week. I can give more to God instead of God saying, but have you spent any time with me? That's what I'm looking for. The second thing is do not worry about a specific place to pray. You see, for these people, the temple had a special spot. If you prayed from the temple, the power was hot. You got right to Jesus. It was the red phone to God. Okay? It was set up. And there are still true, I've seen it in Christians today, that they will say there are Christian prayer centers that are set up in Jerusalem today. And these Christian prayer centers are saying, send us your prayers because we will pray from Jerusalem, which is closer to God. And I will tell you, it's not. In the medieval times, every map that they made had Jerusalem as the center of their map because everything had to come back to Jerusalem. And what God is saying right here is the key is faith in God. The key is not where you are. The key is the fact that northern Minnesota prayers are just as effective as southern Alabama prayers. God does not look and say, oh, that's not coming from the right time zone or the right zip code. Or it's not coming from the right temple facility. It's not coming from a proper church. There are people that think that unless you're in a proper church, you can't pray. There are people who use this concept. Unless the pastor prays, it's not a true prayer. There are people that I know that are so much greater prayer warriors than most pastors. And our prayers, it does not matter the place or who. We need to understand this. And the other thing is, the temple still exists. But Jesus says, or Paul is going to tell us this, that the temple is two things. The temple is, first of all, we ourselves are the temple of God. So when we go around and pray, you say, well, I'm not in the temple. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Then you are the temple of God. The second thing is the church is the temple of God. The house of God is the new temple of God. Do you think he uses that imagery on purpose? Of course he does. He says, you're worried about the temple. You are the temple. And you are the temple. So don't worry about it. God's going to hear you. When you watch the Roman soldiers tear down what you think is the connection to God, do not worry. Have faith in God. The next thing, and this is tough for us. I think this is even uh, tough for me. Prayer is a group action. There's, the other thing that always comes up with this is every time I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, and I recommend uh, praying the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. I think it's great. But do you ever pray the Lord's Prayer and he says, uh, Our Father who art, you know, who art in heaven or every whatever version, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let us, wait a sec, our daily bread, not my daily bread, forgive us. You notice that it's all plural? You notice that it's about praying together? It's praying as a body? We struggle with this concept. We struggle with this because we're really good. I mean, you talk about prayer closet. Oh, northern Minnesotan people are like, yeah, prayer closet, prayer deer stand, prayer fishing shack, prayer whatever. We're good at that. That's what we want. But there's a component, and all of the verbs, all of the nouns in this are plural. It means that there are supposed to be times when we gather together. I've heard people say, I don't need to come to church. I can watch church on TV. I can do my own thing. The Bible doesn't allow for that. The Bible has set up the church. He, God does not give us a secondary option. 
Now, if you're stuck in Antarctica on a research station and you're the only Christian, you get an exclusion, okay? But try and get somebody else saved up there. I mean, then you can start your own little church. But what I'm saying is we're supposed to gather together and pray. What we're talking about earlier, praying one for another. Lord, forgive us. When you're praying with somebody and they're talking about forgiving for their own sin, anybody else here not able to say forgive us for our sins? I can. Forgive me, God. Strengthen me also. Strengthen us together. Bring us together. This is a group action. And even at the end, you notice it says, and the Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Um, He uses even the terminology that we see in the Lord's Prayer later, but he uses it right here. And also, he's going to denounce the ethnocentric nature, sorry, ethnicity, of the temple. He is going to say that you are supposed to pray not with people that are just like you. This church, and this is a theme that I have picked up more and more in the church, or more and more in the Bible as I study it. The Bible doesn't understand racist Christians. It does not understand Christians that want to be with people that are like themselves. It says, for all the nations. This is a house of prayer for all the nations. You should grab hands and pray with people that aren't like you. People that might even bother you. People that are offensive to you by how they act. No, it is all nations coming together. Ephesians talks about this so strongly. It says that we are created now, broke down the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, and we have been created as a new race. A new race. What race are you? Christian. We are united in Him. There is no need now to be broken up. There should have never been a need in the first place, but especially now, we are together. And we bind. We can look and say brother and sister to people. And you can say this is my brother and have that person be a totally different race and freak people out. Okay? Hey, we're bound, we're bound together by Christ. Stronger than my relationship with my own brothers and sisters. That's what the Bible says. Next, we can pray confidently with faith. In fact, we are instructed to pray confidently. It does not say pray and, you know, pray and yeah, give it a shot. It says, pray with confidence. It says, I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea, and he does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. We are supposed to pray believing that God is going to do that. We are supposed to pray believing that God has already started the action of the prayer. What does that do for our prayers? It makes them more vibrant as we do them. Now he is saying that, that he wants us to pray with that kind of faith because that's saying that we're praying to a God that can do all those things. Now do we pray for mountains to be cast into the sea? A lot of people have used this term and said, why would he pray for a mountain to be cast into the sea? A lot of people said that's about as worthless as causing a fig tree to wither. It's really not helpful. If people are living on a mountain, do not pray for that mountain to be thrown into the sea. I don't think people on that mountain, near that mountain, I mean, near the mountain, they'd think it was cool. Watching a mountain fly through the air, I'd want to see it, YouTube video. But he is saying to himself that this, if you have faith, you can see mighty, mighty things that seem impossible happen. Pray with confidence. 
and you will see them happen. And nothing is impossible with prayer. Nothing is impossible with prayer. Now you ask the question, and he's not going to answer it here, but will be answered later by Jesus himself. What if I pray and I don't get the answer that I want? What if I pray, it said right here, pray confidently and it'll happen. Well, there's a guy named Jesus who prays in the Garden of Gethsemane a short time after this, and he says, Lord, take this away from me. And at the end he says, okay, I'll do it. Your will, not mine. But did Jesus pray, take it away from me? Yes. So you can say he prayed confidently, but it is ultimately God's will. When we pray according to God's will, I also think of Paul when he prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be taken away from him. Do you think Paul prayed confidently? Paul has seen more miracles come out of his life than anybody. So he's not saying that everything's going to go your way. In fact, it is a great thing that you do not get everything you pray for. It is a wonderful gift from God that you do not get what you prayed for. Because he has better things for you. If he says no, it means he has something better for you. It means that he has a better way for you. He said to Paul, I have a way to use my grace in you that's going to be much better. If I took that thing away from you, you would not be used as much by God. If Jesus would have gotten his will, none of us would be forgiven. Okay? His earthly will wanted to say, "I I don't want that. Last thing he says about the new house of prayer. Forgiveness comes before and because of prayer. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone... So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now I just want to emphasize just quickly the first line there. When you stand praying, I'm not going to ask for hands because this could be embarrassing. Has anybody got down on their knees, gotten comfortable, looked up to God, said you're going to pray, closed your eyes, and a half hour later woke up? Okay, I'm just saying, it's, it, it happens, all right? Nobody's gonna, I'm not asking for hands. Because it does happen. You put on some nice mood music. Oh, I'll put on this nice worship music. And all of a sudden, I think there's some, maybe some wisdom right here. When you stand and pray, okay, just for the thought. And I've, I've talked to a lot of pastors, I've talked to a lot, a lot of prayer warriors, and have said there is no position for prayer. We think the kneeling position is the position for prayer, but it's right here it says when you stand and pray. I like to walk and pray. Now, you can't fall asleep when you're walking. I probably could fall asleep when I'm standing if I worked at it. But if you stand or walk or whatever position works for you, it is not one position. But he says, first of all, if you have anything against anyone, it is time for you to ask forgiveness. This is what you will see um, during communion times. If there are times, he's going to talk about this before he institutes communion, you need to go and ask people and say, I have something against you. I've done this sin against you. I have these bad feelings for you. Will you forgive me? And the Bible talks about unforgiven sin can hinder our prayers. And then he says that your Father also in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So what he is trying to say is, first of all, you can receive forgiveness right before your time of prayer, but also understand this, and it's, not, it's a big point here, because when you see the temple destroyed, you're going to think to yourself, that's where we went and sacrificed animals so we could be forgiven. What about our forgiveness? 
Jesus is smart enough to throw this in right here. Just know the fact that my sacrifice, you're not going to understand it quite yet, but my sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, will mean no more sacrificing in the temple. My death and resurrection means when you ask your Father in heaven, you will be forgiven of your trespasses. You will be forgiven of your sins. You will carry them no more. What a glorious truth that he has right here. This is the new house of prayer. But you know what's hard for us? We don't want the new house of prayer because we like the old way. We're stuck in our ways. Like the Jewish people right here. It took the Romans to come in and knock down their temple for them to really understand it. It was not a good thing that had to happen. But they need to understand that this has changed and God has a better way for you. And so if you're struggling with prayer right now, if you're struggling with maybe that you've gotten into some things, and you need to understand that God has a better plan for you. He has an idea for you to be a true warrior of prayer. And he has an idea for us to be a house of prayer. A house of prayer that is not bound by a building. It's not bound by a person or a place or anything like that. It is confidence and, and it, it requires all of us together. And God is going to hear us and do great and mighty things and do new things in our lives. Why don't you stand with me today? If our prayer ministers could come forward. We have prayer ministers that are available because we believe in prayer. We believe that God wants to forgive. We believe that God wants to save. And if you're here today and you've never asked for forgiveness, thank God you don't have to get on a plane and travel to Jerusalem and buy a sacrifice, get a temple tax, hopefully you do the ritual right, catch it at the right time period, and then your sin can be covered over. No, we simply call our Father in heaven. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was made, we no longer are bound by these old practices. We no longer have to do that. In fact, our prayer right now becomes the weapon that frees us. It becomes the, the healer in our lives. It becomes the savior to our lives. God, thank you for making a house of prayer. And when you do that, you become God's temple. And when you become God's temple, it means that your prayers go right to heaven. And when you're in the church praying and we become gathered together, it says we are God's temple, which means we are praying to God together. And he hears our prayers. So if you want to be a member of the body of Christ, have your sins forgiven, why not just come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. They can explain to you what it means to be a Christian. Don't let this day pass. But for everybody else that's here, I want you to make an emphasis on prayer in your life. I want you to say, God, we just went through your word about prayer. I want to apply these things to my life. I want to be a person of prayer that prays confidently. I want to be a person that's not so concerned about uh, all the things that maybe I've gotten concerned about in my prayer life. I'm going to try to really focus on you. I'm not going to be distracted, God, by the things of this world. Even though I'm busy, I'm going to stop and pray. It's not, it doesn't always have to be the ideal time. It can be whenever you find a time to pray, do it. I've heard different methods. Pray when you're in the shower. Okay? I've heard lots of people talk about that. You got time there. Pray when you're driving. Keep your eyes open. But there's all kinds of, I mean, there's all kinds of times we can pray. Find the time to do it. But also realize that God hears us anywhere. There's not some special time, special this. He hears us everywhere. 
and he wants to do great and mighty things in us, and he wants to forgive us of our sins. So just, let's just make our, our opportunity to say, God, I want to be a person of prayer, and I want to be forgiven, and I want to see great things happen in my life because of prayer. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today, God, that you did not want to leave us in a system, God, that's time had come. You did not want to leave us in a system, God, that was excluding Gentiles, that was excluding certain people, God. But you, God, wanted to have prayer for all the nations. You wanted to have a new system, God. And you came down and gave us the new covenant, Lord, which means that we can pray wherever we are. We can receive forgiveness of sins. And God, the barriers that that used to exist between different people groups are gone. And Lord, I just ask you today to help us to be a house of prayer. Help us to be what you said. I want my body to be a house of prayer, God. Let us be that house of prayer. Individually, a house of prayer is a temple. And collectively is a house of prayer as we gather together. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, We have our Crossroads Connect dinner that is taking place right after the service, right through that door. You're invited to come. Our prayer ministers are available.